Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of Three Point Podcast. It's three different generations with three different takes. I'm the baby boomer, Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5. On the phone is our Gen Xer, Matt Burns of ESPN, and I'm joined again in the studio by our resident millennial, Jared Fattel of WJSZ. Our sponsors tonight include the folks at Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and our podcast recording home, Z92.5 The Castle. We'll also be checking in a little later with our oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. And also on the pod tonight is Matt's interview with Dan Weiner and thoughts on the World Cup soccer tournament in Russia. And guys, I'll tell you what, we just keep growing listeners. I don't know why, but we do. We're closing in on 16,000 plays on SoundCloud alone. That's pretty impressive. I mean, why do you say you don't know why? This has got to be the best podcast out there. <laughs> Read my sarcasm, young man. Especially, especially when uh, my brother just informed me, said, yeah, uh, you've lost my listenership. I said, well, we miss you. Hopefully you come back soon. I hope that's not but the brother you just uh, helped out financially. you got to be kidding me. Johnny, you're awful. Terrible. All right, guys. Well, let's start. First of all, there's a lot to get into, but let's start in uh, uh, the pro sports that just wrapped up their tournaments. The NBA Finals, LeBron apparently uh, broke his hand hitting the whiteboard in Game 1. I mean, who didn't hit the whiteboard in Game 1? But uh, any any thoughts on the Finals and where LeBron will end up? Kind of a good tie-in. I saw this uh, online, and it was the difference between MJ and LeBron they were saying that MJ would would have punched J.R. Smith in the face, <laughs> LeBron would punch the whiteboard in the face, and I thought that yeah, that's true. You got to respect that. I honestly, I LeBron for the first time ever as a fan. I know Matt's gonna love hearing this. <laughs> I kind of didn't like some of the moves he did during the finals. I just didn't like the whole hand uh, thing coming out, showing up with a cast or, right oh, you afterwards. Guys, you guys like that? I didn't like, and I like like we talked about. I can't blame him for his reaction in yeah, the huddle right. uh, after the whole Jr. Smith found out that they had a timeout, but that just wasn't a good look. Right, that wasn't a good and, look. And I also have a quick thought that that game four was the most most pathetic performance I've ever seen for the last two and a half quarters. It was like they weren't even interested. Let's get to the offseason. We're done. I mean, the Warriors swept all of the uh, hustle categories. I mean, charges, loose balls, deflections, uh, screen assists, box outs. They literally swept everything. And you see... People are saying that it's like a pre- it was a pretty close series, despite like you know the sweep. Right. I mean, it was a sixty point total blow. I really don't think it was that close. Game one was really the only one I yeah. felt like the outcome was in question. I agree. Yeah, I think. I mean, we mentioned it last week, and after that that game one and how it ended, I know the Cavs you know kept game two or I think it was game three in Cleveland. It was kind of close, but after game one, I think it was you knew what the outcome was going to be after after the way the Cavs lost that game, but. Yeah, the the whole cast thing with LeBron. I just when I saw he came out to that press conference with a cast on, I just couldn't stop. I, I couldn't help but laugh because the headline he's trying to make is you know he he got hurt. He's trying not to make that the excuse. He doesn't want he doesn't want that to be the focus. You know they they lost on the court. Then why would you come out to the press conference with a cast on? All he would have to do is go to that press conference, no cast, answer his questions, go on, go about his business, put his cast on afterwards. Like if you don't want that to be the focus. Don't wear the cast. Yeah. So I thought that was funny, and I mean, yeah, Jordan probably would have punched J.R. Smith in the face, and so you got to wonder, like, why would LeBron punch a wall? You're never going to win a fight against the wall. <laughs> but like, the serious side of that is, you got to kind of criticize LeBron for a self-inflicted wound. I mean, he's he's the greatest player in the game right now. He's the best player, clearly, that the Cavs have, and you're going to punch a wall and maybe break your hand or whatever, and that's going to affect the whole series. So he. 
he deserves a little criticism for that. But the Warriors, I mean, they, they were just far and away better than the Cavs. So, whatever. It, it, I don't think it really affected the outcome that much. If you, yeah, if you think this Warriors team is good, just I can't wait until this offseason where they get rid of, you know, they have six centers that literally don't yeah. play. They're going to get rid of them and sign, you know, a couple guys for the vet minimum, like Tyreek Evans or like Avery Bradley or something. Right. But what is the the infatuation with punching walls? I have friends <laughs> who punch walls that I could never understand getting that angry and punching a wall. That makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. You're right. And the, the other thing that, that had me baffled, did you guys see much of a drop-off? Obviously, he had 51 in Game 1, but he, he still put up solid numbers in the other three games, didn't he? His outside shooting did drop, though. It was like okay. 11 threes in the first, yeah. and then like dropped to seven, and I think it was three by the time the Game 4 rolled around. But it sure wasn't noticeable, was it? I, no. I do think the podium— He was doing push-ups for Exactly. I mean, the podium thing was totally Bush League. I think we're all in agreement on that. No doubt. That was the thing too. Is like his production didn't drop off a whole lot. I mean, I'm not. If he was hurt and he's saying that, you know, his, his saying he did something to it. I'm not going to say that he's lying, but for him to say like his words were, he pretty much played with a broken hand the rest of the series. Well, there's not really a pretty much about it. Either your hand is broken <laughs> or it's not. You know, like right. Either either your hand is broke or it's not. There's no pretty much about it. And you know, to come out in the cast, it was like, dude, what are you doing? And I, I don't know. It just it made me laugh. My big takeaway from the whole thing, though, was. KD is just—he's so underrated. I mean, you look at his stat line. Uh, for like, what was it? Let me find it real quick. Forty-three points, uh, thirteen rebounds, four assists. Andy, Andy had six hundred eight points in the playoffs, the most ever by a Warriors player. Wow, more than Steph Curry, like five hundred eighty-six. I think is his most. And it's like people say, "Oh, Kevin Durant took the easy way out." I was—I originally thought that, but honestly. It's pretty easy to be, to be like so beloved as he was in Oklahoma City. He was like every probably everyone's favorite player in the league. Maybe not everyone's favorite player, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, he yeah. was mostly beloved. Yep. You jump to a different team. He's like now the, one of the most hated players. <laughs> like I guess I maybe basketball wise easy way out, but just lifestyle wise, I think it's the harder way out. Well, and the other thing to me is, and I, I talked about it at the time. You know, you're hearing all about the easy way out. Well. Listen, look, the league is set up. He had that opportunity to do it. He's still making top coin, and why not go for championships? I mean, that's what you play the game for, you know? And the other thing is, too, you know, he okay, so the easy way out, he did go to a team that had just won the most games in a regular season in the history of the NBA, so I can see that. But it's not like he went to the Warriors and just took a back seat and, you know, started being the second or third option on the Warriors. I mean, Steph Curry, he's great. But Durant went over there, and you could almost make an argument that the Warriors are his team, and you know, with those stats that you just said, Jared. So, so it's not like he he just went over there and tried to coast and win a couple championships. I mean, he went over there and he proved that he's still one of the best players in the league. Oh, he could he could definitely be the best player in the league. There's there's that did possibility. You, did you see uh, Matt Scuffle on Twitter with who? Said? With with uh, Omani Jones. A little oh, yeah. bit, I did. As a matter of fact, man, how about that, Matt? Do you want to tell a story? Or do you want me to read off tweets where you just got roasted? Matt, see, that's the thing. I, I was going to start replying. I, that thing, I, that escalated quickly. I replied with the, with the uh, Ron Burgundy gif of him saying, "Boy, that escalated quickly." Because all I said, and it was a legitimate question. Bomani was talking about Kobe and Durant, and he was going back and forth with a bunch of people. And all I just replied to Bomani, and I just and, and Bomani said something along the lines of that: Kevin Durant is by far a better basketball player than Kobe. And he also said that Harden has a great statistical case against Kobe. Man, uh, I, what a great take that is. That one. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I just asked, I said, I said, honestly, why do you think that Kevin Durant is a better basketball player than Kobe? 
I wasn't trying to make an argument. I mean, I, I feel otherwise, but I was just trying to ask. And he quote tweeted it, just LOL. And you know when Bomani quote, quote tweets something like that, like it's just going to catch fire. And sure enough, like I, I minimized my internet window. I was at work, and I don't know, five or ten minutes later, I opened it back up, and I had like 30 notifications from people just like blowing me up, saying like, I'm a Kobe stan, and uh, I have no idea what <laughs> I'm talking it, about, man, and I'm a Kobe so guy, right. and, and everything like that. And it was just like, I was just asking what why he thinks that Durant's better than Kobe. Wow, I missed all those tweets. Can I still can it, I still have can access still to them? No, all I right. thought I was looking forward to that. I thought he deleted them for a second because I remember retweeting. <laughs> no, I'm not going to delete that. I, no, I, I would if I got into a debate or an argument or whatever. I'm not going to delete it. It's legitimate. I did respect that, but it definitely made my Saturday night. That's fun. Hey, by the way, we all have our uh, our Twitter handles. I'm at Z ninety two five. Matt, you're where. Uh, Burnsy381, if Jared? you want to see that back and forth. Yeah, it sounds like we're at the end of the show, but add Jared uh, Fidel. No, we'll repeat it again because uh, you did also, one of our listeners, incognito underscore Miggy replied to you as well. He uh, he wanted to throw it back to the whole Colorado situation. He does. He constantly brings that up, and uh, he always does hashtag What's blue poke. So, I mean, he, you know, that that's just that's in the past. If, you, if that's your argument against Colby, then you well, got nothing else to say. Yeah, his, his tweet was, wait, are you talking about a player or a play uh Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's always the that's always yeah he probably shouldn't have had the uh few extra years in his nba career maybe well, should have maybe should have been cut a little short to be honest man i've always had a little bit of a uh, a problem with this myself you know that does put a little bit of a taint on his career i mean you if you want to just look at kobe bryant basketball player pure and simple i i'm right on your side why that he's right you, there in the top why three. are you even you're feeding him this is what these he's feeding just, who you're feeding Matt. You're feed the whole Kobe fanatic. You're feeding him. Well, I'm just telling you that I think that he is one of the top three or four of all time. But just the whole Kobe debate. Don't even put him in the MJ. <laughs> don't even put him in debate. Kobe. <laughs> Kobe is already his stats and everything's already like standing. The t- it's not even going to stand the test of time. All You're right. going to see it. A we'll couple see. years after he's out of the league, Bomani Jones is already. All right. It's one of those things too. Like I mean, we we, we could really get into this if we wanted to, but I think it's also like uh, the period of time, or you know, the the time that Kobe played in was more. You know, Twitter, like the internet was coming around and, you know, 24 hour news and everything like that. So I'm pretty sure if Jordan and some of these other guys, Barkley, and especially back in the, you know, 70s and 80s, if there was, you know, Sports Center was what it was, if there was Twitter, Facebook, all that, all, a lot of these other guys wouldn't look as good as they do either. But, uh, you know, whatever. Hey, yeah, no, that's a good point. Did you. You were talking about Miggy Incognito. He decided to tweet at me. I shut him down. He did? Yeah, because I said, justify, you will be missed. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. And he, commented, he said four like, to five or yeah, something he said, like that? Yeah, and I asked him, I said, oh, how much did you make? No response. <laughs> Not even liked it. He knew that he was in the wrong there. Yeah, but how about justify? Yeah, and you know, since we're sliding it right in here, why not? It's open forum for us. Yeah, you, how much did you win? 150 over the three races that I've. Or no, no, no. Yeah, you were going to bet it all. Yeah, right? 180 on them uh, total. So impressive, impressive horse. Hey, did you do any like trifectas, or were you always just betting you know, on justified? I always just right on justified. You see a winner, you pick them. Yeah, the only negative there, I'd, I'd be much more impressed if it was an underdog. I mean, it was the favorite, so you just threw the money on the favorite. It doesn't impress me that as much as if you would have pulled an eight to one or ten but it to one. Impress you a little bit, yeah. You got all three races. Horse race betting. You got all undefeated. three. <laughs> How about that first stat? That's pretty good. Till next year. That's pretty we'll good. What about World Cup? I mean, you looking to to put some money down in the I, World Cup games I don't, at all? I honestly don't know if I'll watch a single second of it. <laughs> and did you put any on the NHL? I didn't. Okay. None I, of us are, I think, 
I think it's fair to say. I do enjoy the NHL, though. Do you? Do you? Yeah. Do you watch games in, I in watched, full? Or? I, mean, I watched two of the Stanley Cup finals. and I did, too. I watched game seven, or what was it? Was it whatever the final five, game was? Six, yeah. Five or six, yeah. The most five, impressive so thing to me it. in that whole scenario, and it's still been going on, is Ovechkin winning his first cup. First cup for the Capitals ever. They started their franchise in 74, but I have never seen, and hockey players are known for their party, and I've never seen anybody. Uh, savor the moments, if you will, and party with that cup like a savage. It was awesome. Oh, he did, too. I mean, he was in the streets swimming in water fountains and, and doing, I mean, like a keg stand out of the Stanley Cup. Uh, <laughs> I think that was at the Nationals game. And so, yeah, he was definitely living it up, and he deserves it, man. I mean, he's, he's put in the work. He's been in the league for a long time. So, so definitely live it up. It's one of those things, though, I've heard people say, like, they're, the Capitals are going to be so terrible next year. Because they're going to be partying for the next like month or two. They're going to go into like uh, off-season camp or whatever, so out of shape and just hungover and everything. I, let me let me pose this question to you guys: Would you rather have how they did it, where they won it in Vegas, or win it in front of your home fans? Oh my God! If you're ever going to win it on opponent's ice, Vegas is the spot you got to win it at for sure. I don't know. Yeah, not not like the Warriors winning it in Cleveland. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I I think. I would probably a little bit rather win it at home, but no man, way. Vegas no is way. incredible. If I, if you were Alex Ovechkin, I feel like if I asked you that, I feel like you're saying I'm going to Vegas. Yeah, you might be right on that one. You might be Definitely. right. I, I do remember when the Wings were winning those cups, like in the mid mid to late '90s. But I, I feel like at least once they won one in Detroit, and that atmosphere was just like insane and awesome. So it would be cool to win it on your home field, but or your home ice. But but yeah, the alternative would be Vegas. I think. They definitely had a little different parade situation, didn't they? The Warriors a little bit. I mean, they, they had fun, but uh, the the Washington parade was incredible. I mean, the mall there in D.C. was packed with red. It was it was a pretty awesome sight. It was cool, and I mean, it, it's one of those things like they they've been waiting, I think, for like forty some years or something for a championship from the hockey team, and I think the Redskins in '91 were the last Washington sports team to win it. So they they've been waiting a long time for a pro uh, sports championship. I mean, almost. Detroit is almost starting to run into the same thing, but but yeah, it's one of those things. If if you work in in that city, you got to know that you know a lot of your employees probably aren't going to show up that day. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a little baseball in a moment, but before we get to that segment, let's uh, tell you a little bit about Rivals Tap House and Grill. That's the spot to meet up with your friends, catch your favorite sporting events on their 21 big screen TVs, all kinds of food and drink specials, including burgers, wings, and pizza, along with their homemade soup and salad. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill, located on the corner of M21 and Shiawassee and Corona. And you got your current gift card, don't you, Jerry? I did. That was a, a nice little treat. When I walked in the door, seeing that gift card, great, definitely my favorite spot. Great sponsors for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, my next next trip home and, and getting some some grub. Yeah, you, we, you got you got to spend it all in one trip. <laughs> That's the only way to do yeah, it. Just give me everything on the menu. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it. We'll have a, we'll have a staff meeting when you get in town next. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, let's talk a little baseball, boys. Uh, Tigers. You know, we knew they weren't going to win the pennant, but boy, oh boy, they got dealt quite a blow this week, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, Miggy blew his biceps out, and they still owe him like $154 million. So that can't be good. No, I mean, well, we're obviously going to see his uh, his power production go down. I think he could still maybe be a 300 hitter, close to it anyway. But, I mean, they have no choice, do they? They're not, they're not any way going to be able to get rid of him, so they're going to have to just suck it up and play him. 
that's not the kind of contract that you can convince someone to pick up in a trade, especially damaged goods. Production is probably going to drop off a little bit. Yeah, and that's a pretty serious injury too for for a power hitter in baseball. Not many people come back and be very productive after after that surgery. So it's definitely a tough blow for the Tigers, and and you know they may just have to put him at rotating at DH when he does become healthy again. Well, yeah, hopefully, I mean, right now, obviously, Victor Martinez is still there. So, I, one of the things, like, I've been saying it for a year or two, that, you know, they should just, you know, eat the bullet, cut Victor Martinez, pay the rest of his money, and bring some of these kids up and, and get them some reps because, I mean, there's, there's no reason to keep giving Victor Martinez at bats at this point. They're not, like you said, they're not winning the pennant. No. That's what you got to hope, that maybe he can come back, kind of like what Albert Pujols is doing with the Angels or kind of what uh, Big Poppy did at the end of his career and just be a full-time DH, hopefully hit 290 or 300 and, Driving 80 RBIs or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 25 but home that's runs. A lot, that's a lot of money to owe that guy. It sure is. And the other big uh, injury was Otani for the Angels. I mean, there was immediate reports that he was going to be having to face Tommy John surgery and be out for two years. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but, boy, that's a that's blow. That's a two-year injury now? That's what they're saying, yeah. Yeah, depending on how serious it is, it can be. Yeah. I remember hearing, uh, like, you Darvish had to have that surgery, and uh, Tanaka, who plays for uh, the Yankees, you know, he came over from Japan, too. He had to have some surgery, too. I remember hearing that, you know, it seems like here when starters get up, up around 100 pitches, that's like that's like the golden number, like 100 pitches, like, get them out. Don't let them go too much farther than that. And it always seems like pitchers here have, you know, three, maybe four pitches. But those pitchers over in Japan, they let them pitch, I mean, 160 pitches a start, and they usually have seven or eight pitches in their in their bag, so they're coming over. They're they're throwing like weird arm angles and all these weird screwball pitches, and eventually it, it catches up with them and their their elbow blows out. That's what happened to Otani. Is that what's going on compared to you know like back in the the seventies, sixties, and eighties? You know, where like there was I follow this site on Twitter, seventies sports, and Nolan Ryan in one game threw something like two hundred and thirty pitches and came right back three days rest and threw another complete game. I mean, nobody does that anymore. I think the only reason they're getting hurt is because of their hats. <laughs> their hats. You see their hats. They wore like the Little League World Series. <laughs> What a sight! Those are those are the real atrocities. Uh, now, now, clue me in a little bit. I, I don't know what you're talking you're like about. You're like a V. Like so. Ta- oh, in like, the old days, you mean? No, Japan. I'm talking. Oh. About, we're talking about the <laughs> like the Japanese players coming over. The it's like a V on their brim. Serious tunnel. Those little league hats are awesome, though. I don't know if you, if you guys played little league in Corona, but oh yeah, oh it's huge. They didn't like never fit anyone's heads. Just the plain black uh, Velcro backs. That's what our that's what our hats always were. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even describe when I first started playing. The, we had, uh, they were kind of like earphone type of head headgear that went over your ball cap. They weren't even a hard hat. Huh. The top of your head was unprotected. Like you're, you're batting when you're batting. You're when you're batting? batting, they were like they were like headphones that went over your ears. <laughs> Got to protect the ears. <laughs> that was the Not only the brain in pr- the side of your head. You know. <laughs> well, I know you had a baseball story you wanted to yeah. throw out. And Twitter, I saw Matt. Matt loved it. So the high school pitcher, he struck out what was like his childhood friend on the other team, mm-hmm. and it was the end of the game, walk off strikeout. And he, after it, like his whole team's like trying to celebrate with him. He walks over and like gives him like a handshake. Right. People are calling this like such good sportsmanship. I don't see it at all. Like maybe he meant it well, but he has made this kid that got struck out. His him getting struck out has been all over Twitter, <laughs> all over Twitter. That's an interesting. And it's just like everyone pities him. Like you're, everyone's feeling pity for him. 
You know what I mean? Like, that's the worst feeling. You don't want to have someone that feel pity for you. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I would be interested to see what he really thinks, but I can see where you're where you're coming from there. Matt, you were the one that loved it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I do get that because I was thinking about it. I, I don't remember the amount of retweets or whatever, but I was thinking that, like, man, this thing's gotten retweeted, whatever, a couple hundred thousand times, and this kid who struck out is probably like, great. Now the whole world basically has seen me strike out to end our season. So I, I did think about that and think it was kind of funny. But I, I, I like the sportsmanship. I mean, it was one of those things. If it, you know, it was high school baseball, it's your, it's your life. It was his childhood, like, best friend that he grew up with. I mean, you don't want to strike him out and then just go dogpile in the middle of the field celebrating. You know, go up and but, give him a hug, say, hey, man, you know, good game. Let's go hang out later, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But how good of friends are Think about it. If you were to strike out your best friend, are you – it's almost like you're ribbing him. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a give and take. It's, eh. it's got you got to bust his balls about it. I think I think the problem was it really was a good faith you know gesture by the pitcher. The problem was, and it wasn't in his mind. I don't think unless unless you're going to tell me different. I don't think he had any clue at all it was going to go viral. Well, yeah, but just this might give me my second time using the word infatuation. But everyone's had the infatuation with him. It's the batter here that's really in the wrong. <laughs> he, he was supposedly trying to console. I think give him the few minutes uh, to where you don't shake his hand, and he doesn't have to live it, live with it for the rest of his life about how he got struck out and it's all over. Everyone's seen the video. Yeah, I think he'll get over it, though. I do think he'll get over it. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't It's going to be a little bit longer than it would have been. <laughs> true, true. But he, I mean, maybe, maybe worse is, uh, I don't know, I think we were going to talk about the Auburn-Florida game that happened uh, a few nights ago. Another awful way to end a season. I don't know if you guys saw it, but oh, it yeah. a walk-off home run. But the way it became a home run was the Auburn kid went up at the fence to catch a, catch the ball, and really it wouldn't have been a home run. He, he really misplayed the ball off his glove over the fence for a walk-off home run to send Florida to the College World Series. That might be equally as bad because that play has been shown now thousands and thousands of times too. Yeah. I think I might take the cake for the worst way to, to lose a game. So this was back in third grade. Um, <laughs> Red, c- game at the cage in Swartz Creek. Uh-huh. Literally, this game was in the fifth overtime. It was to the point where two straight overtimes, it was like it was sudden death. because Nobody game would score. Teams were waiting. So I bring the ball up the court, and I called a timeout. <laughs> and it was as if Chris Weber himself had taken oh, over my no. body. <laughs> we had none left. <laughs> Technical foul. Technical foul. Kid on the other team goes to the free throw line, drains it. Game over. I'm balling my eyes out as a third grader. I walk out, uh, like, game's over. We, we leave. We're walking to the car. For some odd reason, this is still, like, I don't know what the heck my mom was doing. She just takes a water bottle and dumps it on my head to cool me down. Like that, That's probably what bothers me the most out of the whole scenario. She was worried you're going to stroke out, I think. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's one of the worst moments. I missed uh, that one. Boy, sharing with us. I, I like that. Pretty that's pretty da- bad. Was your dad the coach? No, uh, he was. I think he was coaching my brother, so he was gone. But he was normally our coach. Yes. Wasn't that Florida Auburn game also, Matt? Wasn't that the game where they ran the first and third play, where the the runner on first base then intentionally fell down, like like he tripped? That was no, a... he. He acted like he was stealing. He fell down. The pitcher kind of like paused for a second, and the kid on third stole home. Yeah, that, a, that's a genius move. That, I didn't see that. Oh, it was a classic move because it, we we all played baseball. We all know when you got guys on first and third with two outs, a lot of times the team runs the guy on first base. He tries to get into a rundown, and then the guy on third scores. Right? See, it's stuff like that. that's something cool about baseball. Yeah, there's a cool play. 
the, not the shaking of the hands after the, that sort of stuff. I love another another interesting ending in a MHSAA uh, Division One baseball regional semifinal this earlier this week. Gull Lake led one to nothing over Grand Ledge with two outs in the top of the seventh. A wild pitch allowed Grand Ledge to tie the game. It goes to extra innings. Okay, Comets take a two-one lead in the bottom of the eighth when Gull Lake's Gavin Griffin hit an RBI double to tie it up at 2-2. Both teams battled it out until Grand Ledge took a 3-2 lead in the top of the 12th. Now, I want to note this. Grand Ledge's starting pitcher, Braden Stokes, went the first seven innings with 10 strikeouts before being pulled for a reliever. He re-entered the game to strike out a Gull Lake batter in the eighth inning and then got pulled back out. So he's made two appearances in the game, okay? And in high school... They have a, a certain pitch count. We'll get to that in a second. So sophomore Logan Heilick comes in on the mound in the 12th inning. He got the first batter on a fly ball. He then gave up a hit, gave up a walk, and hit a batter. Okay, so it's bases loaded, one out. Grand Ledge is up 3-2, to two, bottom of the 12th. Heilick strikes out the next batter, two down. We got a timeout. Pat O'Keefe, the winningest coach in state history. He's legendary. Co- legendary. He's coached Grand Ledge for 50 years. He goes to the bullpen. Who's he bring in? He brings in Braden Stokes to pitch for the third time. Third time he comes into the game. He actually didn't go to the bullpen. Stokes was in the outfield, so he brings him in from the outfield. He'd thrown 102 of his allotted 105 pitches. And now in this situation, you can exceed the pitch count to face one batter. So there's two outs, bases juiced. Three to two, Grand Ledge on top, bottom of the 12th. He throws a first pitch strike. Crowd's going wild. Stokes, Stokes you some balls, man. He, he goes to the stretch and quick throws to third base and picks off the batter on third base. Game over. Wow. He's got some balls. He's, you know, have you ever seen that gif of the you the celebra- like the bench celebration where you spread your legs out wide and then you put your hands like up and down underneath <laughs> your balls? <laughs> no. That's what he's got. That's he, what he's got going on. Well, he's now. got that's, some that's from that's from Major League. That, yeah. that that's tremendous. What an ending, right? And and here's the here's a little trivia. The starting pitcher Got the save in the game. What a did did he get the win too? Trying no. to think how the score worked out. No, I think Heilick got the win because he he came in with a. Th- that's like that's yeah, he, baseball that makes no sense to me. It's it's strange, but the, well, the reliever the reliever probably got the win and the kid got the save. Yeah. Yep, that's what it was. That's but, wild. What a finish! And you you talk about the kid that got hugged at home plate and made the out right. Yeah. I guess the kid that got picked off third base was laying on the ground for like five minutes. His teammates finally came over and helped pick him up and were trying to console him. And then he just put his hands on his knees for another five minutes. I'm sure he was probably bawling uncontrollably. You cannot get picked off on third in that scenario. Absolutely. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> A- absolutely not. All right, that's my little baseball story for the week. And we're going to have Jack Strap coming up next. I got a feeling he may even talk a little baseball. But first, I want to tell you about the Corona Connection. That's a direct mail paper sent to all of Corona, Vernon, and Shiawassee County parts of Lennon. Pick up a copy of the latest edition at many Corona businesses and Kroger. Like them on Facebook, and you can view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at coronaconnection.com. All right, it's time now to check in with our pod's oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. I'm catching up with him today. He's at a Shriners convention in Bay City, and he's on the phone with me. What's up, Jack? Hey, Fred, how you doing? I'm having a, having a good time here talking to some friends. Uh, we were just laughing a few minutes ago about... The one year, you know, I mean, the Shriners, we have a great reputation when we're out there at the local parades doing our little magic on our little bikes and, 
you know, the one year this one kid was reaching out too far out of the cement and trying to grab a candy bar, and I ended up nailing the kid. And, uh, you know, so I was off the writing crew for a while. It was a, a Shriners violation, you know. But uh, it's, it's a ton of fun, though. I love wearing a hat, too. You ought to see me in it. I've done it all. I mean, if your podcast audience knew the versatility, well, you know what they do. They know it. There's no question. So, Ted, uh, you know, I sort of miss the other guys, but you and I go way back. So, you know, it's good to talk to you. So, uh, so let's, let's, get, let's start right off with uh, Angel's rookie sensation, Shoei Otani's. You know, he has this, uh, what, now he needs Tommy John surgery, and he's out till 2020? Now, what, what is going on these days? I mean, back in my day, the guys would, they had a beer belly, for goodness sakes, and they could eat a bucket of fried chicken, which, by the way, Jackie and I enjoyed ours on our anniversary dinner. Thanks for asking. And, uh, you know, and these guys are way out of shape, and they just show up, play ball after the game. They drink beer in the clubhouse and play cards. Today, you've got a science for everything, for the way you drink and the way you, you throw your motion, and there's technology and powder drinks to make everything better. And these guys are only asked to go six innings. We're back in the day. Mickey Lowlich pitched three, I said three, World Series games. And it was just basically their job to go nine innings. What in the world's happening? Are these guys wimps? It's just, it's just ridiculous, you know. And uh, But I, I feel bad for the guy. I mean, obviously it's not his fault. I just don't understand. I don't know if it's, you know, kids starting way too early, throwing, throwing hard and throwing long with these, you know, travel ball teams when they're age 10. You know, it's, it's, uh, some of that stuff is a little bit ridiculous. Ted, speaking of baseball, let's talk Florida. Uh, I don't know if you saw on ESPN, you had Nick Horvath of uh, Florida. He's on first base. You had a guy on third base. This is in the, in the College World Series against Auburn. And what a roost they pulled in that the runner on first, two outs, mind you, and the runner on first fakes like he's going to second and does a what appears to be a fake fall as he tumbles over, which distracts the pitcher. And in the meantime, the runner on third scores home and gets the winning run. Oh, it was fantastic. And then, and then that brings up another topic let's banter about for a minute here. Where's the line in cheating? In other words, I look at that play and think that's clever. You know, it's it's you know, to me, that's sort of part of the game. But on the other hand, certain other things are deemed horrible. Like, like for example, when the Patriots were accused of, of stealing signs. Uh, now, of course, deflate gate affecting the actual ball or a guy like Gaylord Perry back in the day putting grease on the ball. I think, you know, those things are cheating. But you could say that stealing signs is a way of cheating, is it? Uh, in a way, yes, I would agree with that. Keep going. Well, my whole point is I have no problem with that play, and it just got me to thinking where is the line between a legitimate cheat, so to speak, because you could, you know, if you really wanted to be picky, you could say, oh, what a lame way to win. Instead of having the guy hit the ball, you got to do a, an acting job, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll, we'll leave that one up there. And then uh, also continuing with baseball, Ted, and, you know, I don't know if you know this, baseball is my favorite sport. I mean, it's America's game. But uh, and, and also ties into injury. How about, uh, you know, the Tigers uh, paid a lot of money, and, and Willie Horton now hurt himself, and uh, they got him on the docket for a ton of money, and he's 35 years old. And, uh, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, 
uh, the way I see it, if a guy's getting paid that kind of money, I guess he's worth it because they paid him. You know, say what you want about a guy like a Bill Belichick, but sometimes he seems to know when the when to pull the plug, and and uh, you know that's good or bad. I mean, sometimes you can you could be loyal to a player, and other times I guess it can uh, backfire. But regardless, I do feel bad for Tiger fans who really look forward to watching him play, and and they can't. But uh, I think the last item on my list, I know everybody wants to talk about it, and that's, uh, you know, the next 30, to 30 for 30 special with Dennis Rodman on his life and his summit with Korea. That would make a good 30 for 30. We all use our imagination, but Dennis Rodman was uh, certainly a colorful figure, and I just picture him in Korea as a celebrity. I don't know why, but, you know, you've got Jong Kim in his little black mini suit that he wears. And I'd like to think that when he's in a casual environment with Rodman, he probably has like a real hip shirt on with his hairy chest exposed, maybe a gold medal, and, you know, some of the Korean women servicing Rodman. Hey, come on over here. And Rodman does a water bong hit, and then they start talking, and young John says, hey, Michael Jordan, what he what he fun to play with. You know, and then they're just laughing and having a good time. But, you know, say what you want. That is the American dream, my friends, to go from stealing watches in an airport, being one hell of a basketball player, and his heart's in the right place where Korea's concerned. He's not faking his tears when he cries about his joy and seeing his good water bong friend, Ong Jong, get along with Donald Trump. You know, it's just uh, it's, it's what America's all about, don't you think? All right, Teddy, that's, uh, that's all I have today. Take care, man. Well, as always, very interesting uh, to hear from Jack Strap and also hear some of his takes on baseball. We were talking about some of that stuff just a moment ago. And Matt will be talking with Dan about the World Cup coming up next. But first, this from Sportsnet Michigan. Sportsnet Michigan has thousands of high school game radio broadcasts available on compact disc or digital download going all the way back to 1985. For a sample, check out the posted games we have here at Three Point Podcast. All right, so joining us next is my buddy Dan. If you remember him, he joined us a few podcasts ago when the NCAA tournament was getting going. He was our, our resident mascot expert for, for college sports, but he's also uh, one of the most knowledgeable guys that I know uh, when it comes to the game of soccer. I know a little bit. I, I'm not going to claim to know much at all. I'm, I'm definitely a fair weather, fair weather guy when it comes to soccer. I, I pay attention maybe when the World Cup goes around, but but since the U.S. isn't in this World Cup that is actually starting today, we're recording this on Thursday, I figured it was going to be a great time to bring Dan back and talk a little soccer, preview the World Cup. Dan, what's going on? Uh, not a whole lot. We're just getting ready for kickoff for the first game, Russia and Saudi Arabia. So get excited, America, for that game, which should be pretty bad. But the rest of the tournament is going to be really fun. So it's a really, really exciting time every four years. Nice. Now, you, you mentioned that every four years, uh, back in 2014, ESPN had the rights to the World Cup in Brazil, and you were one of the lucky ones that got to go over to Brazil and, and cover it. So I know when, when you guys all came back to Bristol after that, I mean, it seems like the, the stories just kept going about how awesome it was. I mean, some of these stories we probably can't tell on this podcast, but uh, it just seemed like an awesome time that you guys had over there. Like, what do you remember? What 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 was cool about being in Brazil covering the World Cup? Our hotel overlooked Copacabana Beach, which is one of the most famous beaches in the world. And my hotel room was on the 13th floor overlooking the beach. So 
every day for six weeks, I woke up to a beachside view of one of the most gorgeous beaches on earth. And it's tough to top that. Um, it was funny because when you travel internationally, now, first off, that was the first time I'd ever traveled internationally in my life. So that was a pretty big one. And we had to go to this production seminar and basically part of it is the security folks basically telling you you're gonna get kidnapped or you're gonna get some kind of illness from eating something that you're not supposed to eat down there. So it's like anxiety inducing, but once you get there, you realize that everyone there wanted, like Brazilians wanted to be good hosts. Everyone where we were was really, really friendly. Now granted, we were in like the resort area. They weren't gonna let their, their, they weren't gonna allow there to be a lot of disruption and all that kind of stuff in that area of Rio, so. We were in a pretty safe area, all things considered, and it was just cool to be able to walk along the beach to go to work every day. Our our office was on the sh on the tip of Copacabana Beach, overlooking the ocean, and it was just remarkable. I mean, it was a grind. It was 42 days, I think, four off days in the span of 42 days. We were working a lot, but that's not to say we didn't get out and enjoy some of the nightlife a little bit. There are bars that like line the beach on Copacabana, so we would just go to the one across the street from the hotel every night, just hang out, and people watch, and it's, it's a party, it's a festive atmosphere, you have people coming from 32 countries, I didn't expect to meet people from every country, because some of the countries have pretty restrictive travel rights and things like that, and I, I, and I honestly, admittedly, I don't didn't know like how interested or how accessible this it was going to be to the Middle Eastern countries, but fans from those countries were there and boisterous and were amazing, and just South American fans were awesome. The Chileans, the Colombians were really uh, vigorous. The Argentines kind of invaded Rio at the later stages of the tournament because they knew their team was going to have a chance to go pretty far. So it was just an amazing experience, and it's something that you should be able to experience once in your life as a sports fan. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but here in the United States, in eight years, we're going to be able to experience that. So that's really cool. I know that's getting ahead of us. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's, like you said, there's too many stories to tell on a short podcast, but, yeah, it was a pretty remarkable life experience well let's uh let's get into this world cup that uh like you said it's in russia it's starting today on, on thursday when we're recording this and the u.s didn't make it i mean a lot of people in in, in the u.s you know kind of like me are, are more fair weather fans if, if the u.s was in it they would definitely be paying attention more but since the u.s isn't in it i think that kind of sucks for for fox who has the rights to this year's world cup that that the u.s didn't make it but i'm sure they'll still put on a good show and it'll it'll still be a great tournament but this is uh, the three-point podcast, so give us the three reasons that we should still watch this World Cup. All right, I'll go from the, the, what I think is the, big, the best reason to the, the third best reason. The best reason to watch this is because this is the last time in all likelihood we're going to get to see the greatest player that any of us have ever seen play live play in a World Cup, and he's never won one. Lionel Messi almost retired from the Argentine national team. Actually, he did and then came back to play after Copa America a couple of years ago because he was just so exhausted and frustrated with their inability to win the big game. They've been to the tournament final of the last three tournaments but that they've played in, but they haven't been able to win them. And Argentina is always a weird case because Messi's amazing. They have players who play for some of the biggest clubs in the world, and yet they've had a hard time being a dominant force around Messi. They've always been good, but they've never been dominant. They really, really struggled in qualification. Like the United States, Argentina had to win their final qualifying game just to make it to the World Cup. And because they have Messi, he scored a hat trick and all was, all was right in the world. But they're, they're 
old in some spots. They haven't been really good without Messi. In their last six qualifying games, he was the only player to score for them, which is kind of alarming again because they have so many good players. And you kind of wonder, okay, do they have a shot? I think they're the fourth or fifth favorite to win it. They're in a really interesting group. Iceland was kind of the team that people fell in love with at the Euros two years ago. Croatia is similar to Argentina in a lot of ways. They have a ton of talent that never really seems to gel. And then Nigeria also has a lot of really young talent. So that's a really, really fun group top to bottom, and it features Argentina. And then you get to the knockout stage, anything can happen. There was a development yesterday where Spain fired their coach two days before they play their first game. And that seems like a bad idea. And the point in all that I'm trying to make there is they're in a group with Portugal, Spain is. And now, if Portugal can somehow end up winning that group, even if Spain's the favorite, it sets up a scenario where Argentina could play Portugal in the quarterfinals, which would put which would pit Messi and Ronaldo playing against each other in the World Cup, which would be a phenomenal thing. I don't want to downplay Messi's success. He's won the Champions League multiple times. He's won La Liga. I mean, his Barcelona almost went undefeated in La Liga this year. So to say that he's like a failure or anything like that, if he doesn't win a World Cup is not fair at all, but it is part of the legacy in all of this, and his legacy would feel slightly incomplete if he never wins any tournament with Argentina. So that's absolutely a big one. Staying in South America, the second reason to watch this tournament is how the heck does Brazil, what what do they do for an encore after one of the most horrific losses in major tournament history? They were the hosts four years ago. They were supposed to win the tournament. They got to the semifinal and lost 7-1 to one to Germany. Being in Rio during that night was one thing I will never forget. Just the, are we going to be able to get, are people going to be rioting in the streets when we leave the office tonight? Well, like the anxiety was pretty high. It was a pretty stunning failure. And they somehow, for some reason, kept their coach. And they got up to a pretty mediocre start in qualifying didn't get out of their group stage at the last Copa America, fired the coach, and since they hired their new coach, they've been unbeatable. They finished with the second-best qualifying record in South American qualifying since they expanded to the current format that they do, so they were a machine. They, they're they different from the team four years ago for a couple of reasons. They're not just reliant on Neymar, who is one of the two or three best players in the world right now. They have a lot of good players, and they're really balanced. They're not necessarily the forward-thinking Samba Mania soccer team that you probably remember from your youth. They have a lot more balance, and balance is good in this tournament. They're an overwhelming favorite, but it looks like if everything shakes out the way that it's going to shake out, we could end up with a Brazil-Germany final, which you talk about narrative in sports, like that would be as big a narrative-defining game as you could have. And they're, they're kind of fighting a little bit of history here because uh, – only one non-European team has won the World Cup in Europe, and that was Brazil. That's the, thing. the bad news is that was 1958 in Sweden. So when the World Cup is played in Europe, it has historically always favored the European teams. And the third point is kind of an overarching thing, is that if you're a U.S. fan and you're wondering why you should watch the World Cup, just know that there are 64 matches, and given how the United States was playing in qualifying, that had they qualified for this tournament, the reality is they were probably only going to play three matches. There's only a, a couple of groups where I would have really liked their chance to get out of that group, and they were just so dysfunctional that I didn't think that they would. 
and there was only one group of eight uh, of the eight groups where I feel like they could have gotten into that group, gotten to the next round, and won a game in the round of 16. So I think four games at most was the ceiling for the U.S. national team. Um, it's There's so many fun storylines in Europe. Germany's really good. They won the tournament four years ago. They're one of the favorites. Spain, uh, just a lot of upheaval there. England might actually like be fun to watch. And if you need any other excuse as part of this, the games are happening between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m., so it's a good excuse to leave work early and go day drink, and I don't know why that would never be a bad thing. I was going to say, the, the times that I have been you know, kind of locked into the World Cup is when the U.S. has been in it, and we've gone to the bar in the morning to watch the games and a bunch of rowdy fans and day drinking and everything like that, and it's a heck of a time. It's soccer, so two hours, you're in and out, and, and it's entertaining. The passion is there, so... So I do understand why why soccer is the most popular sport in the world. I I think uh, it's in time maybe it'll catch on here in the U.S. But I think those those three points that you brought up, if I can if I can find the time to watch, if I'm not busy work at, at work or something like that, it it definitely should be an interesting World Cup, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's always interesting because there's so much anxiety around the world. It's like. It's like a tournament full of Cleveland Cavaliers teams or Golden State Warriors teams when you get to it's, – it's very much like the NBA in which the number of teams that have a chance to win it is pretty low. I'd say I think at most six teams have a chance to win it. I think the six teams that have a chance to win it are Germany, Brazil, Spain, France, Argentina, and maybe Belgium because Belgium has maybe the most talent in the tournament. They're also kind of known as being underachievers. So I don't even know that I'd put them there. I'd say at most they're six and probably four or five. So it's definitely top-heavy. But there's still fun games to be played throughout. And like, and to make another comparison, I feel like it's also like the NCAA tournament in some ways and that success is measured in different ways for different teams. Like Brazil and Germany, they expect to win. Uh, Belgium, they expect to make a run. Argentina, they expect to make a run. And then you have teams like Croatia, Mexico. Those are a couple of teams. England, they expect to get out of the group stage and try to make it to the quarterfinals. Making it to the quarterfinals would be a huge achievement for them. And then you have teams like Panama, who is a team that's there instead of the United States. Uh, They're playing in it for the first time. They're probably the worst team in the tournament. They're going to get smoked. I mean, their first two games are against Belgium and England. The likelihood of them being competitive in either is slim, but it's, it's all house money to them because they had never been before. Peru hadn't been to the World Cup since 1982. They had like they basically shut the country down the day after they qualified the party, and they're in a group where they can make it to the knockout stage. So like, success is defined differently for every team in this tournament, kind of like March Madness, which is what makes it fun. And there's it, 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 even though favorites typically tend to win this tournament, somebody's going to fall on their face, whether it's Spain because of the people with their coach and some inner turmoil Argentina just because they're they've been dysfunctional in the, in the lead up to this tournament for the last couple of years somebody's going to fall on their face and that's always going to just create all kinds of fun narratives and things like that and I do want to reiterate if you live in a town that's got a big sports bar presence I guarantee you there are going to be people out watching these games at bars and if you live in a community that has a lot of transplants and a lot of people from other countries in it you're going to see people supporting all these teams. I cannot reiterate it enough how much fun it is just to go out and people watch at bars to see their teams playing. 
in this World Cup. It's just a, it is really the, the biggest global sporting event in the world, and that's a reason why everyone should care. Even if you're like not that interested because the U.S. didn't make it, you can find interesting stories throughout and find teams to root for. I don't really think there's a lot of teams that aren't rootable in this tournament, so I think that also kind of makes it fun. Some teams aren't going to play like super exciting games, but there's a reason in it. There's a team in every group that's pre- in pretty much every group that's worth rooting for or watching. Right, and I mean, I think the biggest point that you've made is the day drinking aspect. I mean, I, I remember I was in a bar. Yeah, I, I was in a bar for the uh, the Landon Donovan goal. I'm I'm forgetting who he scored it against. Algeria. Yep, Algeria in 2010. Yep, in 2010, and then uh, I was in a bar for the last World Cup, but the one that sticks out is when the U.S. played Portugal, and actually kept it close, but Ronaldo had a pretty sick play late. And so just the environment, when Donovan yeah. scored that goal and then the environment in the bar, even though the U.S. lost, but watching Ronaldo and Portugal do their thing, I mean, it was awesome. I, I was with a yeah. bunch of fans who are way bigger soccer fans than I am, and it was just it was awesome. It was, it was so cool to be a part of. So, yeah, earlier you brought up uh, the next – well, it's not the next World Cup. It's in 2026, no. so it's a couple away. But, yeah, in, in 2026 it was announced that – that North America is going to be hosting. So Mexico, the U.S., and Canada. I think I saw it's going to be stretched across 16 cities, and it's the first time that three nations are hosting, so that's pretty cool. But So, you know, we're sitting here right now. The U.S. didn't make it into this one. You know, maybe right now people are a little down on U.S. soccer because of that or or whatever else is going on. But we're going to basically be hosting, uh, us with two other nations, going to be hosting a World Cup. So that's a really, really big deal. But what right now as we sit right now sell us on it why why should we get into u.s soccer right now in anticipation of 2026 the tournament the way that the world cup is structured is they they basically build it now it's going to be interesting because let me back up for a second the team that hosts the world cup is automatically qualified and the way that fifa does things is what they do to kind of help the host country out because it's better for the tournament if the host country makes a bit of a run is they basically break up the teams that qualify into groups. And they use the FIFA rankings, and they put the best teams in the world in the first pot, and then second pot, third pot, and fourth pot, and they draw one from each group. And regardless of where you are in the world rankings, you if you host, you're in the first pot, right? So Russia, this year, is one of the worst teams in the tournament, but because they're hosting, they got into the first pot, and you can call it a conspiracy if you want. I choose to call it a conspiracy because they, they ended up with one of the easiest groups ever. So the United States, as hosting, assuming that every it, – it, it, there's, there's a lot to figure out, too, because there's going to be 48 teams and things like that. But the reality is, long story short, they typically try to set it up so the team that hosts has a more favorable path than they might otherwise have. And realistically, like, this could be good. What happens sucks in the short term. The U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup. A player like Christian Pulisic, who is a 19-year-old superstar potentially like an actual like legit this isn't like Freddie Adu or any of the other number of guys this is a kid that actually could end up being a superstar player all of the big clubs in the world are interested in him a lot of them want to sign him he might move from Germany into to, uh, the English Premier League this offseason like he could be great and the fact that he doesn't get to play in a World Cup this year sucks but there was a lot of dysfunction and kind of rotting inside the U.S. soccer and to hit rock bottom like this you have to hope that's just going to inspire changes. If you look at the, the friendlies they just played, the average age of the roster of these three games they just played was really, really young. But there's so much young talent. I don't say so much. There's a lot of young talent. Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, the young man who plays for PSG in France, which is the biggest team in France. 
And so they've got some guys. Weston McKinney plays for Schalke in Germany. He's another teenager and might be 20 now. So there's good young talent in the United States. The, 20, the 1994 World Cup was the most attended World Cup of all time. Still to this day, no World Cup has had more spectators than the 94 World Cup in the United States. At the time, the United States didn't even have a real professional soccer league. One of the conditions for, for getting the 94 World Cup was that the U.S. was going to have to start a real soccer league, and that's what happened with Major League Soccer. And it's taken Major League Soccer a long time, and there's still a long way to go. But that is a league that is continuously growing, is continuously expanding. They're continuing to draw younger viewers. They're, they're and becoming less of a retirement league and spending their money on younger, talented players they can hopefully develop here and then move on upwards. You're seeing clubs have academy systems where they sign young players and help them develop and then hopefully move them on to Europe. And soccer's everywhere in this country on TV, whereas 30 years ago, it wasn't at all. If the sport has grown so much in this country and now you're putting the premier event of this sport in on our shores, I think the U.S. is going to host 40 of the 60 games every game from the quarterfinals on. Like, it's coming to your region of the country. It may not be close you know, I know you know you have, you have I know I'm sure a big portion of your listeners are in Michigan. I don't think Detroit's going to be a host, no. but Chicago is very likely will be. I know it's not that far. Like if you can make it to one game, go. And if you're listening elsewhere, Atlanta's going to host. There're going to be sites in Texas and I think Phoenix and LA and San Francisco, like the big cities that you would expect. It's so much fun to go out and be around and experience it. And even if you don't get into the games, you can't get tickets because I'd imagine they're going to jack prices up to a ridiculous level. But I, th- I still think that the environment and the atmosphere and all of that is going to make for just a, a really, really fun time, and it'll be good for the growth of this sport in the country. And realistically, like FIFA understands that the growth of soccer in the United States is important as well, because I think there's three markets where soccer is not oversaturated at this point that FIFA really wants, which is the U.S., China, and India, and the U.S. national team is by far the best of the three. So it's it's good business for everyone involved, and it'll be a the world's biggest sporting event on our shores. And unlike the Olympics, when it's here, the Olympics is concentrated in one area. This is going to be spread out across the country, and that's something that's just so much fun. It's going to make traveling tough. If you want to travel around with the U.S. national team, you're going to have to take a, like a about a ten day vacation and several plane flights because they're not going to play close to each other. But it is still worth trying to check out if you can. And it is a really, really big thing for the growth of the sport in this country that is just continuing to grow despite the setback of what happened last fall with the U.S. national team in Trinidad. Yeah, and I think, I, I guess one thing to me that I always think about with U.S. soccer that, that maybe is missing or, or is something that needs to happen for people to really latch on is to finally have like a legitimate, a huge worldwide superstar. And if if this kid that you're talking about is potentially going to be that, then I think that would help. And it, it, it just always makes me think that, I don't know if it's a problem, but one of the things that maybe holds us back is all of our best athletes, for the most part, play football and basketball. Like, what, what do you think would happen if, you know, guys like Russell Westbrook, guys like, you know, LeBron James, you know, whoever, stuff like that, Odell Beckham, guys like that went to play soccer? Well, see, I think I think we I, I've had that discussion a lot, and you hear that discussion a lot, and I think it's a, a flawed discussion for one reason, and it's like Lionel Messi's like five seven. Yeah, yeah, the size right? thing. Like, Lionel Messi is not an elite physical specimen. He's a he's maybe the most prodigious talent that's ever played soccer. Now Ronaldo is a physical specimen for sure, and you see guys who are built like linebackers. Like yes, if 
LeBron James, but LeBron James is six eight. Like if LeBron James were French, LeBron James would still be playing basketball. If that makes sense, right? right. Westbrook, that's a little different. Like a guy like a Chris Paul, who's like six feet tall. Yeah, he'd probably be playing soccer if he if he grew up in Germany. So yeah, I mean, I do think there's some merit to it, but I think it's just an entirely different skill set. And I do think it would be it, it's a fun thing to do. It's a, it's a fun question to to kick around. No pun intended, since we're talking about soccer. <laughs> but at the same time, like I, I I think it's entirely possible when you look at the amount of money and development that we put into sports in this country. I don't think the best athletes need to play soccer. If they do did, it would be great. Like obviously, they'd be more like guys who play baseball who are more you know in the five ten to six three range. Obviously, basketball players are a little different and. Right. You'd have to wonder if Kobe would have played for the U.S. national team or the Italian national team if he played soccer because didn't he grow up in Italy? Yeah. Or was he born in Italy? Yeah. It's like Kobe has dual citizenship. Kobe, your, your boy Kobe, your hero, your, your <laughs> athlete of all time, might not have ever played for the U.S. national team if he had played soccer because he was, you'd imagine, given his competitive nature, he would have been a really good soccer player True. and kind of on the borderline size to be a soccer player because he wasn't 6'8". You know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't be kind of awkward on a soccer field. He would be really good. Right. And so, you know, maybe he wouldn't have ended up playing soccer. But to your point, yeah, I mean, if you had guys like a Chris Paul or uh, that, that's kind of one that comes to mind. Like Steve Nash, for example, would have been playing for the Canadian national team. Like Steve Nash has some soccer skill. Right. Now, of course, he's Canadian, but like, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think it would have helped. It would help. But I think it's, it's a matter of funding and finding talent and cultivating talent and developing talent. And that's the biggest issue. The U.S. has had a bad problem for a while now where they'll find guys who it looks like they have a lot of talent and they sign them and they bring them in. And at 14, 15, they sign with MLS teams. They play for U.S. national youth teams. And then they kind of just fade, their star kind of fades away whenever it's time for them to like step out and be a professional. Like the 16 to 18-year-old development in soccer is as critical a period of time as there is for any athlete in any sport in the U.S. for whatever reason has really struggled to see guys go from stars for the youth national teams to stars on the national team. And that's like the next big challenge. They can't let these young guys show all of this potential and then fade away and not live up to their potential. And I think that's kind of the next big challenge. Because I watch a lot of these youth tournaments because every couple of years, the under-20 team, the under-23 team, the under-18 team, they're all playing in World Cup events. And I watch them, and they're all, I see guys, I'm like, man, that kid's got a lot of talent, and then they kind of fade away. Yeah. And it's like, that's the next big challenge for the United States is to can keep finding those kids, but help them make professional decisions that allow them to continue to grow so that they can make an impact on the national team. And that's going to be the big challenge as U.S. soccer moves forward. Hopefully, what happened this fall will inspire a youth movement. They'll start giving young players opportunities to play, and, and that'll usher in a new generation of U.S. soccer, but, you know, it remains to be seen. But nevertheless, even if the U.S. team's not even that great eight years from now, even though I think they'll be better, uh, it's still just such a fun spectacle. So it's definitely, like I said, if it comes to your part of the country, you should check it out. Definitely. All right, Dan. Well, uh, I think you you broke it down perfectly for us, and you gave me a, a, a lot of info and insight on and things that I didn't really know about. So, so I'll definitely be watching a little bit, probably not as much as you, but I, I will definitely be checking in. So I uh, appreciate you coming on, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. 
All right, guys. So we, we laid it all out there. Dan, he, he knows a ton about soccer and, and World Cup and everything like that. So he laid it out, and he kind of got me a little excited for it. I'm, I'm being honest. I might watch a little bit. What about you guys? Are you going to tune in to any of the games? I tell you what. If I had to root for a team, it would probably be Portugal. And the only reason for that is because FIFA, that's a team I always play with. I know their <laughs> offense like the back of my hand. Like, it's like a 3-5, three, 3-1-1 three, one, one, or something like that. And Cristiano Ronaldo on that game, like 99 speed. He's led me in a lot of victories, so I'll pull for them. Yeah, I'll watch some of it for sure, especially when it gets to the uh, later rounds. Uh, you know, it's it's really exciting. Uh, the one neat thing about soccer or football, as they call it everywhere else in the world, is uh, the timing of the games are awesome. You know, it's 45 minutes each half. They have, I think, a 15-minute halftime. No timeouts. I mean, you know, you got a two-hour, two-hour, ten-minute game, and you your butt can handle that. I get that, but it's and also I, stupid. Like how they take time. You agree? Like the whole they count up and well, I, I honestly don't even understand some of that, but a little bit of it. Well, yeah, I mean the extra time is for like injuries or after uh, after goals are scored or something like that. The stoppage time, but it is, it is kind of weird because it's almost up up to the ref's discretion to decide how much time that they're going to allow. So yeah, that, that is kind of strange sometimes. But what? but we talked about it. Dan and I talked about it. and I was going to get your thoughts on this, Jared. Uh, one of the best things I've, I've been around for, I don't know, the, actually paying attention to, I should say, a couple of the last World Cups. And the coolest thing to do during the game is to go to a bar, to go to a watch party when there's, I mean, hundreds of just like crazy fans, especially when the U.S. is playing, obviously, and, uh, and watch it with people who are huge soccer fans or something. So, so is that even something that would interest you? Go, go to a bar and watch the game and have some fun? I mean, if I could, I guess. Yeah, if I was 20. But it's also, and this is me completely stereotyping, but you know what type of what group of guys you're getting into when you go to a bar full of soccer fans. I, that's just my Hooligans? Are you saying hooligans? They're not they're hooligans. I, I, they're different. They're, I'm saying everything <laughs> wrong. There's a different kind of guy than what I would normally hang I will with. say this. With this World Cup being in Russia, uh, you know, you're going to the bar at 8 o'clock in the morning to watch soccer, right? Yeah, it's like a little day drinking. Sure, Get your day going with a Bloody Mary, right, Jared? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Matt. Being an ESPN guy, was there any uh, any feelings about not having the World Cup this time around? I mean, not necessarily. We had the 2014 World Cup, so it was almost almost new that we wouldn't have, have this one because the bidding war for the World Cup is just outrageous. I, I forget right. the amount of money that... Fox paid for this one, but but it is kind of funny that you know the U.S. didn't make it, and I think ESPN was glad that we had the last one with U.S. and Fox has this one without the U.S. because that will definitely affect the viewership numbers. But but yeah, I don't think it was any bad blood or anything like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. How how uh, big a dip do you think there will be in the ratings with the U.S. not with a team? I mean, there obviously Fox is selling it as you know not, no effect or whatever, but you know there will be because I mean. The U.S. It's not a very big sport here for whatever reason, and a lot of people would only watch if the U.S. is playing. It's inevitable that the ratings are going to dip, but it's just kind of funny. It's similar to like the NCAA tournament or the Olympics, especially the Olympics are really strict. NBC is on on the rights of what what stations can show as far as video. Fox is being pretty strict on on the video that they're allowing ESPN that they're, they're allowing us to show. It's something like six minutes per day or something of highlights. So so they're really. Uh, limiting ESPN's access to show video on the World Cup. 
That, yeah, sorry. But no, I don't think it, I mean, it's a worldwide sport. I mean, of the, por- I mean, I, I bet you it, it will drop, but I don't think it'll be noticeable. That's just what I think. Pers- I know nothing about, let me preface that, I know nothing about like the whole ratings and television field. And the popularity has grown in the United States for sure. Uh, you know, without the U.S. in it though, I don't know. I, I think it's going to drop by what percentage, I don't know. Well, we'll let me ask we'll this, see. honestly, like, this is yeah. what I'm talking about. I have no idea. So do all the countries watch, like, Fox? They watch the Fox feed, don't they? Well, it depends. It, it's, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's not necessarily, it's not like every country across the world is turning on FS1 or something like that. Because mm-hmm. uh, Fox owns, like, Telemundo or Univision. So it depends on what country you're in that, you know, what feed you're going to be getting or maybe what station that game is on. But... Um, so, yeah, it's not necessarily FS1 all around the world broadcasting the games. It, it might be different stations in different countries. So, well, the, but it's all owned. I mean, Fox kind of owns all of the rights to it. Well, the other big big news with uh, World Cup soccer, the uh, North America got, what, eight years down the road, is it? Yeah, 2026. Yeah. United States gets the more, majority of the games, but Mexico and Canada, I think, get 10 games each. That's, that's a great bid right there. And I think part of the reason is it's just the venues. You know, we, we have so many great stadium venues. I think it's hard to, to beat the Americas, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it's going to stretch across, I think, it's 16 cities across North America. And, and the bulk of them are in the U.S. It's like Dallas, Houston, Nashville, you know, L.A., um, New York, Baltimore, D.C., you know, all of those. It does kind of suck, though. Detroit did try and put a bid in. They just didn't have, you know, they, their biggest sell was Ford Field, and, you know, FIFA didn't want to have an indoor venue. So right. um, Detroit's kind of out of it, and Chicago's probably out of it. So, but yeah, it didn't really get a mid. I think Kansas City or St. Louis might have it, but the Midwest kind of got left out. All right, before we get to, I want to want to have a little fun with a tournament that the Detroit Free Press is putting on. I'll get into that in a moment. But uh, the big news story this week was our president meeting with the president of North Korea. And really, the glue that put it all together apparently was Dennis Rodman. Thoughts, guys? And people say that, uh, I saw this on Twitter, people say that MJ had no help. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Nice. Uh, it's hilarious to me. I don't know. It's it's all a clown show to me. I don't know. Like, what did anything actually get uh, accomplished? Who knows? They're yeah. saying something got accomplished, but what, what do we know? The one thing I will give some credit to, and uh, you know, you're you're seeing all the tweets from both sides of the aisle. I mean, some people say it's great. Some say, say what's he doing? But in my viewpoint. I don't. Now. I'll be careful. I don't think it's a bad idea to communicate. You know, now maybe he didn't do it right. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I don't think it's a bad idea to reach out to a dictator and try to work things out so nukes don't start flying. What's wrong with that? Oh, definitely. No, without a doubt, you should definitely have conversations with people, whether they're your enemies or friends. You should be trying to talk to everyone. But it's just funny because I saw like a lot of people put video montages or whatever together that. Back when uh, President Obama was in office, he was talking about talking, going over to North Korea and talking to him or some some other dictators around the world. And the narrative on Fox News then was, how can this guy go talk to dictators? How, how can he go treat these people like they're our friends and, you know, basically attacking them? And then when Trump's going to do it, it's, this is such a landmark day in United States history, and this is, look at him, he's, he's leading our country and stuff like that. So it's just one of those things that, People that only watch certain news stations, I think they 
kind of tend to get brainwashed a little bit. Well, yeah, that'll... I watch zero news. Dude. <laughs> I actually tend to avoid all political news. So thanks for giving me some political news, guys. Yeah, yeah. No, that that might be the better option, to be honest with you. Yeah, you might be right, and that whole spin zone is very aggravating. Well, before we get to the tournament, guys, I want to talk about an event here in uh, Mid Michigan. It's a it's a cause that I'm really uh, really all for the cure for ALS. I got a really good friend that recently found out he has ALS, and uh, I noticed that there's a bike city poker run in Owasso that's uh, for your pedal bikes that's June 23rd rain or shine there's all kinds of prizes 50 50 all money goes to help find a cure for ALS the locations at the Owasso middle school parking lot the cost is only 15 bucks registration starts at 10 30 the uh, the poker runs starts at 11 but uh, I'll tell you what that is one tragic disease we just had the the guy from the 49ers die of it Dwight Clark right yeah. And it's just an, one of those diseases you never really, they just don't seem to have a handle on that they can find a cure. You know, when I found out about my buddy getting this, I, I, we talked about it and said, you know, I'd rather have cancer. At least you got a chance, you know, and it's really, it's really tough when you come up with something like ALS. So hopefully they can find a cure for that terrible disease yeah. someday. So are you going to, are you going to bike in it? I'm thinking about it. If my hip will hold up, we'll see. <laughs> Bring out the old, you got to join the race. <laughs> I got to, you're right. So at least you can do it. Speaking of joining guys, let's, let's get into this Detroit Free Press Tournament of GOAT as we wrap up the show. Um, they put together the 64, in their viewpoint, greatest athletes for uh, for the Tigers, the Red Wings, the Lions, and uh, well, who am I missing there? The Pistons. Uh, the Pistons, right. And they put them in, in brackets of 16 on each side of the bracket by team. So let's just go through four of them here today, okay? If two of us agree, that's who's going to get the nod on the bracket. I think I have a feeling how this is going to go. You think Matt and I are going to agree to everything? Not necessarily. <laughs> we'll see. But, of course, you know, smart minds do think alike. So what are you going to say? Well. All right, let's start with the Lions, guys. This one, I think, will it's going to be unanimous, but I'm, this is how they seeded it. Now, keep in mind, the Free Press did the seedings. I, I don't agree with all their seedings, but they've got on the number one line against number 16, Barry Sanders, number one, taking on a defensive standout Chris Spielman. Can't go against Barry. Barry. Is that even the same? I mean, is that the announcer? Yeah, yeah. Wow, he's a lion. Huh? Oh, he was a great lion. He was he was part of their teams that very well could have went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's Barry Sanders. Got to go BS. Yeah. All right. I, I almost feel like, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say it, but for the Lions, you could almost just mark Barry the whole way across the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right about that. But we have some other matchups that might be a little tighter getting to that point. Uh, how about, let's go Tigers, and let's go number two seed, Al Kaline. Against number fifteen, Willie Horton. I my dad has a Willie Horton jersey. Bought it for like thirty dollars. And this is so. This is you buy anyone's jersey for thirty dollars. That's a red flag to me. So I'll go Al Kaline. That's a sweet jersey though. But I, I'm with you. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, growing up, I mean, my dad always talked about Al Kaline being you know the greatest Tiger, and but I, Willie Horton was one of his favorite players, and. I, isn't Al Kaline, isn't his nickname like Mr. Tiger or something like that? It so is. It's, it's kind of one of those things, like how do you go against that? Yeah, and he is a number two seed. I, it's it's a unanimous one. See, all three of us, Al Kaline again, for whatever reasons. Let's go to, uh, oh, this one could be a tough one for us, guys. The Detroit Red Wings. It's going to be a tough bracket all around. <laughs> tough, uh, tough us. Jared can do his homework next week. But we got, again, a number two against a number 15. We got number two. Nicholas Lidstrom taking on Reed Larson. 
Reed Larson. What's this guy's backstory? <laughs> oh, Jared's going to do a little homework, so what do you but think? I feel like I've heard that name, Reed Larson. He was a pretty I'm solid player. My vote on uh, when I was up in Bristol working, I used to work and do stuff with Barry Melrose. Right. And I always talked to him about the Red Wings, and he always would talk about Nicky Lindstrom being the best defenseman he's ever seen. So I'm going to go with Barry Melrose and say Nick Lindstrom. He played 14 years. You're, you're, whatever that's worth. I don't know. NHL. Reed Larson? Play like, yeah. What kind of stats he have? Uh, what years was he playing? Okay, first off, I'm on his Wikipedia page here. So That's okay. Through, he's from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> he's an American. 195 pounds. Uh, youth. Let's go to his youth. Let's see. He grew up in a working class. Uh, t- yeah, pretty much is where he's from, Minnesota, Minneapolis. College career, University of Minnesota. Do you play for Herb Brooks? I'm just going to keep this simple. Uh Nicholas Lindstrom. <laughs> Unanimous. <laughs> he's, he's, I tell you what, if it's, if it's a Minnesota Hall of Fame, he's probably got the edge over well, th- well, three of us, we got one more to go, guys, before we wrap this segment, but uh, it, it will get tighter. We got uh, Detroit Pistons. Well, let me just pick. Oh, oh, here's an unfair one. I'm going to pick one right in the middle bracket, okay? A number six against a number 11. You got uh, Chauncey Billups, number six, going against his teammate, Rip Hamilton. <laughs> that is a tough one. Jared, you remember both of those guys a little bit, don't you? I do. That was kind of the start of my fandom, but not, I mean, we kind of shipped Chauncey out for Allen Iverson. Right. That was like, uh, that's probably when I really started watching the Pistons. I mean, I loved Allen Iverson. Mm-hmm. Rip Hamilton. So correct me if I'm wrong, and this is why I wanted to have some stats, but he just like was pretty much like a Ray Allen type, just shooting basically, like played good defender, 3 and D guy basically. Uh, he could drive and sh- he had a nice pull-up jumper. Moved yeah, I wouldn't ball. necessarily you know I say Ray him? Allen because he wasn't uh, – as good of a three-point shooter as Ray Allen, but yep. similar, yeah, spot-up shooter, running more like running around in circles, just hitting hitting shots off the screen. He was pretty great, pretty fun to watch. That is a tremendous matchup right there. That's a that's a tough one. Just got to go with your gut, guys. I played basketball against Chauncey Billups up at, uh, in Bristol and he's at ESPN, so I'm going to go Chauncey, Mr. Big Shot. If anything, and that, so I'll do the opposite of that. I hear he plays against you in basketball. I'm going to go the opposite. Rip him. <laughs> <laughs> you got to agree with the reason. Oh, and I've got the deciding vote here. That is so tough. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go with the young fella here. I'm going to go with Rip Hamilton. I did like the way he played. That's a tough one, though. Got to love the math. All right, guys, I think we had a, another good show tonight. Let's call it a pod. To all our uh, listeners out there, remember, share this pod with all your friends. Give us your feedback. You can email us at threepointpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Z92.5SportsGuy. Matt's at BurnZ381. And I'm at Jared Patel. And let me just say this before. Justify, uh, you were a great horse. Have a great life. Oh, I saw a he will. Of uh, the breeding system, oh. and the guys are wearing helmets. So, <laughs> oh, what a job that would be dodging ropes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> They're wearing helmets. There's a reason he won Yikes. all those races. Yikes! I don't want to know what kind of helmets you're talking about. <laughs> like a bicycle helmet. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little rambunctious in that uh, in that stable. Well, thanks again to Rivals Tap House and Grill. I don't know if I can get through this. The Corona Connection and Z92.5 The Castle. Thanks also to Dan Weiner for helping us uh, break down the World Cup. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.